becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer of the ship in the sea. Well, are we ready? Pinocchio. You want to start with that? <laughs> I don't know. Cheers. Cheers to, to the, the shores. shores. Ooh, synchronized. Uh-huh. To the shores, to the shores. <laughs> to try to harmonize next time. Synchronized and harmonized. <laughs> no, I would sound like uh, that person in that video. <laughs> Which person? I don't you don't want to bring it up, do you? <laughs> uh, That's funny. <laughs> Um, well, welcome. Welcome. It's Wednesday. It is. Daggum. Daggum. <laughs> I'm feeling good though. Yeah. You were saying that you were woke, woke up in the mornings and were, it just seemed different. Yeah. I've had a feeling of thankfulness all week, hmm. like really deep thankfulness and, and excitement about, um, about that. Yeah. Like there's something about genuine thankfulness and genuine gratitude that I think is, um, well, it's exciting because it, it's like, it points to something. It points to what you might be able to do hmm. with all that you're thankful for, or at least it ha- that's the feeling that I've had. Yeah. And I try to practice, you know, sort of gratitude and thankfulness intentionally, but when it sort of overcomes you, mm-hmm. um, that's been the effect that I felt is like, I have th- so many great things mm-hmm. and what could I do with all of this? I'm so excited about that. So it's like, sometimes it's work, it's work to do it. And other times it's more of like something that overcomes you or possesses you. Almost. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with most things you can adopt a, a willful position of that feeling. Um, you know, people talk about it all the time, especially in, in like meditation and yoga, Mm -hmm. you know, you should practice gratitude while you're doing that. And what does that mean? And you kind of have to think about what that means as you're doing it and okay, gratitude. Am I grateful? What might, what might I be grateful for? And then you sort of focus on that and pick something and think about it and meditate on it. I think that's a really good thing. But when it overcomes you, there's a sense of excitement about man, I'm so grateful. So grateful. I was thinking about, um, my kids after, so we took a, a trip for my birthday out to big bend and went camping, my parents and my kids and I, and, um, on that trip, I just, it occurred to me, I'm so thankful for them. I'm so blessed by them, but it's not just that I have them what felt extraordinary to me is that I love them. Hmm. I felt so blessed to love them. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have something and not pay much attention to it and you might still be blessed by having it, but to love it Mm -hmm. genuinely is, is also its own kind of blessing. Yeah. Or even to experience it like reacting to you in that through that love or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, like oh no i'm gonna take a little second to actually talk to my kids and right and engage them purposefully yeah. because i want to and i'm it's not just a a chore or <laughs> you know it's like yeah. something i should do or a responsibility or to you know. want to mm-hmm. yeah 
Because so many times you don't. Mm -hmm. You just you're in the you know in the car in the seventh hour of that drive or whatever, and everybody's <laughs> fighting and arguing, and you're like, I don't want to do this. Uh-huh. But to identify that part of you that that wants to, and to give thanks for that. Yeah. Say, I'm so glad that I have that. I'm so glad that I have love. Love to give. It's yeah, so even like in Christianity where it talks about like be thankful always. You know, uh, it's something about that. That's there's a there's a kind of perversion <clears throat> of that idea that, and you see this in uh, churches and in Christianity in general, um, is the idea that you you think you need to be always in a state of thankfulness, you know, or or happy. I think that's also sometimes associated with happiness. Like, Hey Jim, how are you doing? And it's like, mm. Oh man, you know, I'm just so blessed today. Or, you know, like you're like, yeah, okay, cool. But you say that every single time, you know, it's like, but, but there's also this part of like in that you kind of focus your attention to certain things that start to highlight. And Luca. It hasn't been since an uh, old house that you got all riled up. I know. Dude. I actually think you might need some water. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get All right. some. <clears throat> so we're having a little uh, water break right now. And I'll just have a little whiskey break. Yeah, I think we talked about, what did we talk about last time that we're, what was it that we talked about last time that we were going to bring into this? Yeah. It was Pinocchio. And, oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> responsibility. Responsibility. And some... Um, oh, mowing the some yard. Some talk That's about um, leadership mm-hmm. and moments that have influenced yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, uh, to go back to what you were saying about being thankful and being happy, mm-hmm. I think there's a... Um, well, a false idea that those two things go together. Hmm. And I don't think that that doesn't, it seems to me like that's not true. Yeah. Like you can, Hmm. What is it? Well, there's a, there's a, this whole idea of like being thankful to, I, I see this, uh, fixation that you can get into. Like, uh, um, it's like something about like, like you kind of, you were talking about was there's a, aspect of taking stock of your life and, and what do I have to be thankful for? And it's interesting. Like once you start scratching on that, it's like all of a sudden so many things start to kind of appear, you know? And then in other senses, like if you start to just focus on all the bad things and then that's pretty much all you can see. So there's this, there is that idea of something we've talked about a lot about is like what you give your attention to. Yeah. You see what you look at. mm -hmm. It starts to manifest itself more. Well, I think that's the idea of intentional gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you purposely give your your attention to that and Mm -hmm. look at that. It will manifest more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which which definitely makes sense. It's the same thing when you're riding a motor, uh, uh, a mountain bike and, you know, it's like you're not supposed to look at the obstacle. You're supposed to look at the way around the obstacle mm-hmm. because if you get fixated on it, you're going to hit it. You know, uh, definitely think <laughs> Luke is like, I want attention. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm fixated on you. <laughs> you're not going to let me get into a flow state tonight, are you? Well, you want to, uh, you want to talk about Pinocchio? Yeah, let's do that. Do you want to lay it out? <laughs> I'll try. Um, I don't really remember the story all that well, but this kind of comes from um, 
uh, well, I think a lecture that Jordan Peterson did on the topic. He mm. did like a whole lecture. I think it was a part of his biblical series, actually, mm. where he breaks down the movie of Pinocchio over like three hours. It's pretty extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ran across this clip and it, it kind of hit me hard that he is talking about Pinocchio and there's the point where Pinocchio is kind of out on his own and then he runs into those these kind of hooligan characters, the the fox and... The bear, whatever. Is it a bear? Mm-hmm. And they sort of convince him to go with them. And you can tell that something's nefarious is going, is about to go on. And even Pinocchio can tell um, that he's going to be taken advantage of somehow, but he's naive and, and he goes anyway. And, um, but there's also something willful about it. And Peterson makes the point that he, he does that because there's also the aspect of being taken care of. It's, it's abdicating responsibility in order to adopt victimhood. Hmm. Um, and laying it out that way as a, as a willful choice and, and as a, a comment on the benefit of willful victimization was really powerful to me. Hmm. And, you know, we talk in our culture a lot about being oppressed or being victimized um, as if that is only something negative that one person does to another. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's oftentimes, I mean, sometimes that is what it is, but oftentimes it is more of a, a, a willful agreement. Mm-hmm. Like it made me think about, um, in my industry, it's pretty common that <clears throat> people will, uh, you know, work hard and do good, do a good job and then want or expect a raise hmm. and or a promotion. Hmm. And there's a common saying in my industry as well, which is if you want, the only way to get a promotion is to get another job. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's something about the way that advancement works in the tech industry you know, you can advance within a company for sure, but the quicker way to do that is to work at a company for a couple of years and then go out and apply for a job somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's how you get a 20% raise. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen in the same company, but a lot of, I also see a lot of people who just won't do it. Hmm. And I think this is this part of the same thing is that, um, well to do it would be really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It would require, really taking stock of who you are and what you've done and what your value is and then going and putting that against the judgment of people you don't know to say, yeah, you're worth this or no, you're not. And so people don't, they don't do it. They just stay in the same job. And I think, you know, at some level adopt some position of being victimized. Mm -hmm. Like I'm being undervalued. I'm being underpaid. And so they stay because then they can say, you know what, but it's not my fault. It's their fault hmm. for not valuing me. Yeah. Whereas to fix the problem would be for them to have to take responsibility for the problem and go do, and go do something about it. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to abdicate that responsibility <clears throat> as, um, <clears throat> I think as in, in Peterson's word words as payment for the adoption of a victimized status. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Like, why would you, why would you stay in that position? And it's, it's, it's obviously miserable, you know? 
but maybe it's justified misery, <laughs> you know? Well, but I think that's the whole, the main point there is it might be miserable, but it's not your fault mm-hmm. within that formulation. It's also it's like known. once you've decided it's somebody else's fault, mm-hmm. somebody else who isn't valuing me, isn't paying me what I, I deserve. Yeah. I'm miserable, but someone's doing it to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm sort of justified in being upset about that. You know, if I accept the proposition that I could go get paid, but I want to get paid somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now the misery is my fault. Mm. And I think it's much easier to make the misery someone else's fault and stay in the misery. Yeah. And what if you go and then you're judged to not be worthy of that raise? Right. You know? That's the, that's the, the fear pushing from the other side. That's yeah, really interesting. I mean, cause there is a certain amount, like, uh, again, uh, do, you, do you see also, I could imagine that when a job is done and somebody thinks that they've, you know, basically they did their job, but, uh, they think that you went out above and beyond, but really that's what we pay you for is that your job mm. is to do that. Mm-hmm. Like have you ever had to deal with that or, Well, it's fairly well, well articulated in my company that you are expected to perform above and beyond. Yeah. So if you want a promotion, you should already be operating at that level. Mm-hmm. We're not going to give you the promotion and then expect you to live up to it. <laughs> totally. You know, which makes perfect sense to mm-hmm. me. But it also <clears throat> puts everyone in a position where you need to be operating above your recognized level, mm-hmm. above your recognized status if you want to progress. Totally. I think, I mean, when I look at Medici and the, the different people that have like come through and really, uh, like progress, it's like, like they were showing and demonstrating me above and beyond. So we have that kind of thing too. It's like, it's like, no, we have, we have a, we have a sort of expectation. That's a, it's not just average, like average or normal is not what we expect. We right. expect above and beyond, but then you have those that kind of go, way over the top and above and beyond. They're willing to take responsibility. And, and I've seen most of them come through and whatever, I mean, again, we're a small company, but they take whatever opportunities they can get, you know, mm-hmm. and it just, and then it makes me want to give them more opportunities. Like, right. what can we do? <laughs> All that kind of stuff. It's like, it's just, it's such a different attitude than, you know, uh, yeah, I deserve this. It's like, well, you know, it's like, have you demonstrated this? Mm-hmm. And, basically didn't describe their job. I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of what your, your job is, you know, it's like, but it's very, I mean, it's very apparent to me whenever someone is going above and beyond and is willing to accept responsibility. Cause some of that stuff is not, you know, glamorous, you know, it's like, Mm. uh, well, I think often the responsibility that the kind of responsibility that we're talking about, I think has to be adopted voluntarily. mm -hmm. I don't think that it's something that somebody offers you and you accept. Yeah. It's something that you, that you identify and then take on. Mm -hmm. That's really meaningful. Oh yeah. It's like seeing a a need and instead of like asking permission or even, you know, saying, Hey, I see this need. If you'll pay me more, I'll meet that need. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, I, I think that's, I think that's a weird thing for me. Like, I feel like that's how I've grown up is like, is like make yourself invaluable, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously that can be taken advantage of, but 
from my perspective, more often than not, you will find opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if find, you're looking for them, mm-hmm. it reminds me of the Seth Godin's book Lynchpin. Did you ever read that? I, it's been, probably been ten years, but it was sort of a life changing book for me. Um, I mean, the main idea, the title of the book Lynchpin, is is he basically makes this case, mm-hmm. which is that in whatever you're doing, make yourself the linchpin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You know, whether you're the lowest or highest person paid in yeah. a, at a job, you can make yourself a linchpin such that removing you makes the wheels come off. Mm-hmm. Totally. Which, which, which is interesting too, because like, uh, I feel like there's different, uh, it's hard because I, I have to speak within the realm of Medici. It's like, there is that part. And then there's also like, but once you kind of like, again, being a small company, it's like when you hit that upper level where there's we're actually creating new jobs and we don't, you know, it's like, we don't, we don't have those yet, you know? And I find the people that are, you know, almost willing to make them themselves, uh, what do you call it? Not useless, but, uh, like they do such a good job in, in formulating, putting things together that they almost like work themselves out of a job. Mm. And I think that's been something that's uh, like, it's hard to communicate to people. It's like, there's plenty of other things <clears throat> to do. You know, it's like, right. it's like if you can build something in a way that you can then hand it off, it's like, here's something else for you to, to work on. You know? And I feel like, I feel like a lot of people have taken those opportunities and created positions for themselves, you know, right. which has been kind of really phenomenal to see, you know? Yeah, it seems to me that some of the most successful people that I have observed mm-hmm. in my own line of work, they don't do the job given to them. Hmm. I mean, they do do the job given to them, but the job that they do is more something of their own formulation. Mm-hmm. Like they create a job for themselves yeah. and then they go do that. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody asked them to, there was no title given to it. Mm-hmm. There was no job description around it they looked around and saw what was useful to do mm-hmm. and they went and did it. And that's the kind of linchpin thing <laughs> because then if you remove them, well, this job that you didn't even previously have a category for, but then they started doing yeah. now they're gone <clears throat> and that job falls apart. <laughs> Did you ever watch a secret of my success with no. uh, Michael J. Fox? No, oh, it's so brilliant. This is like eager. I'm going to get it all wrong. Cause I haven't seen it in so long, but I want to go back and watch it now. Um, but basically he couldn't get a job anywhere. So he gets a job in the mail room of this really prestigious company. And so he spends half his time in the mail room doing all the mail deliveries. And then he finds a, a an office that, uh, that is vacant. Mm-hmm. And so he just sets up an office and starts, starts doing things for yeah. the company and nobody understands like, they're like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess, I mean, you, you know, all these things you're doing this <laughs> stuff and you're making, you know, making money and that right, kind of stuff for right. the company. So he just created this position out of thin air yeah. and he kind of finds himself on the top. I mean, he gets found out, but then they realize the value that he, he has given. Yeah. Giving. I just, I love that show when I, when I, uh, when I first watched, I think it was like in the eighties. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I've gotten to work for, um, quite a few really large organizations Mm -hmm. and work closely with like really high position people within those big companies. Mm -hmm. Um, and at some point I started deciding that I was going to take notes about what they did and, and what it seemed to me gave them, um, the authority or power or 
um, justification to have the position that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's not obvious. Yeah. Because sometimes you look at these people and you're like, why, why are you doing this job? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you getting paid what you're getting paid? And I'm looking around at, you know, some of the people that are on my team. And, um, I noticed that the common theme seemed to be that these people pay attention Hmm. and have something to say. Hmm. Like it's so simple. Yeah. You know, I look around at some of the people who aren't high profile, high power, high paid people, and they're in these meetings too. Mm -hmm. They're not paying attention. And then when there's silence, they're not saying anything. Yeah. But the people, the CEOs, Mm -hmm. the CFOs, the C-suite people, you know, they pay attention. And when there's a silence, they have something to say. Yeah. That's it. You know, what's so interesting is that I've noticed that so many decisions happen not because they're the right thing or the obvious thing, but because no one else had anything to say. And then somebody said something Mm -hmm. and that's what we did. Mm -hmm. That's what we do now because you're the only one who had anything to say about it. And there's no alternatives. No one's giving us an alternative. So we're going that direction. Well, it's interesting. Like, I mean, the reason why you wouldn't, or one reason you wouldn't want to say something is that if it doesn't work out, it's very obvious who the one that came up with that idea was. Right. Tremendous risk. Uh huh. There's a risk, risk involved in that. So to keep quiet and allow somebody else to take those risks, yeah, and sometimes that's a really big risk. Like mm-hmm. I've worked with some um, Department of Defense contractors. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of on the line for some of these decisions. <laughs> and to be able to stand up and say, "Here's what I think," mm-hmm. you know, and then for the company to go that direction—that's wild. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, you, you're kind of you, you you do that pretty naturally for the most part, you know, or, or have you always? Because you seem to, I mean. I feel like you have that sort of leadership. I think it's, I think it's a part of my, um, personality for whatever reason. Yeah. And I've seen that work for me. I mean, I got hired into the company I'm in, in a fairly entry level position and Mm -hmm. am no longer in that position. And it seemed to me for that same principle was at work. Like I have gotten promoted within my company. And the only reason is because, I said something when no one else did Mm -hmm. and that worked out positively more than it worked out negatively, (laughs) you know? So I got, Uh you know, I was able to sort of reap the reward of that. But I think too, they're, they're also benefiting from you having owned your own businesses, you know, cause that's true. So you're used to taking that risk and putting your, your name, your neck on the line. Yeah. And so doing in this situation is almost less because somebody has to give an okay where before there's nobody giving it okay. It's like, you're the one that's mm-hmm. going to get your head chopped off mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, you know? So mm-hmm. I think they benefit from that. Um, like I would say, like, I just hired a CEO and it's like, like I see that benefit of someone who has had to do that for themselves and, you know, <clears throat> they understand the, the risk and also that someone needs to speak up. Yeah. And actually I do have some experience and something to say that, right might not be exactly right, but it's close enough. And well, that's kind of an interesting segue to something else we had 
kind of earmarked to talk about on, I, th- I think it was Monday, a few nights ago, my son and I watched Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because uh, D-Day just passed and it came up in conversation. I hadn't seen it in a long time and we decided to watch it. Um, <clears throat> and I actually think that, that that experience of seeing that recently has something to do with my feeling of thankfulness. Hmm. Because I was watching it and I was just absolutely floored by the fact that none of us, hmm. you know, what, what, what was that? now 80 75 years ago 60 yeah 80 oh yeah almost no one alive has any clue what that was Mm -hmm. what that was like except for maybe like iraq wars and something yeah that's true Mm -hmm. i mean people have experienced things like that but Mm -hmm. like at a national level yeah um and not only do not do we not have a clue what that's like or any reasonable expectation that we're ever going to have to go through that. Um, It's like, we don't even have a clue about how to be thankful for it. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it. I was thinking about, you know, it's like these boats are coming up onto the shore and it's an absolute slaughter. Hmm. You know, this door comes down and just people are getting, you know, just mowed, mowed down. (laughs) And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, not only is this an absolute catastrophe Mm -hmm. on one hand and an absolute act of heroin on the other. Mm -hmm. um, But it occurred to me, it's like someone planned this and then designed the boats and then built them, Mm -hmm. you know, and on the shore you had the Germans with these huge concrete structures like this, this day happening was, had been prepared for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and just that, all of that just struck me. And then, you know, the, the arbitrary nature of who dies Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they sort of get up to the edge of the shore, whoever makes it. Yeah. And then they've got to regroup. Who's in charge? Who's in command? Well, who's still alive? Yeah, totally. You know, uh-huh. and and <clears throat> this this is the same concept of well, who's going to stand up and say something when the guy who was supposed to say something is now dead or mm. whatever? Well, who does it end up being? Yeah, you know, it ends up being the characters that are in that film and the story that happens. But in, you know, in real life, it's often that way in some in some sense that it's kind of arbitrary. Mm-hmm. You know, who makes the decisions? It often is just who is left to say something and will have the gumption and courage to take the risk of saying something. Yeah, the risk and the responsibility. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, even in planning those the wars, I mean, it's like you can say that people are just, you know, a thousand miles away and they're just like, go, you know, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of responsibility. It's like I'm sending people into... Mm-hmm certain death almost. Yeah. Well, and, and you didn't know what kind of death. Yeah. That was the other thing that struck me is, you know, a movie like saving private Ryan and seeing the, the images. I mean, I mm-hmm. remember it was a lot more, um, shocking when it first came out. No one had really ever portrayed something to that level of accuracy. But these days, like we know exactly what that looks like, mm-hmm. but the kids, Oh yeah. The 18, 
20 year olds who were getting off of those boats onto the beaches at Normandy had never seen images like that. Mm-hmm. Can you, I mean, can you imagine the level of shock? Oh, totally. I mean, we have like video games, uh, yeah. TV and all kinds of movies. Stuff. I mean, uh-huh. they didn't have those things. Mm-hmm. So it was all brand new. I mean, talk about being thrust into absolute chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It's a while. Like just the, just how much that just tests your character too. You know, like I think of uh, also band of brothers also kind of does a great, I think saving prior Ryan was probably the first of them that portrayed it. So intimately from what I understand, but band of brothers then just kind of took that to a whole nother level Mm -hmm. as far as like showing the band, the, just the brotherhood of, you know, being in a foxhole and die, almost dying together and losing so many people. And it's like, it's something that, you know, I hope never to experience in my lifetime, but at the same yeah. time, it's, it's something that you can just really be thankful for and that somebody had the courage to go over there and do that and yeah. make it through that. It's like, it's hard to, it's hard to understand, you know, how we got to this place, especially for us in the West, you know, it's like, that we have the luxury of arguing mm-hmm. <laughs> about mm-hmm. words and right. definitions things, of definitions words and <coughs> arguing about who's victimized more than who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like those men, mm-hmm. many of them, it's like, I wanted to say that they were children, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were by some modern conception. Yeah, totally. You know, but they were men, in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. more than maybe a lot of us these days, you know, maybe me and I today, <laughs> yeah. like to take that moment and say, they went and did that mm-hmm. and lost many lives, many friendships, many loves, many bonds yeah. and, in, and encountered, um, adversity on a level that we never will mm-hmm. so that we can sit here and argue about <clears throat> the definition of words and mm-hmm. not have to worry about dying over it. And man, that deserves like a moment of thanks. Oh yeah. I think John Adams said something about like, we will fight wars so that our sons and daughters can be philosophers and yeah. politicians or whatever. It yeah. Might be. Right. But it's almost like I, I, I tend to think like, it's just, I really hate saying this, but like, I don't know if we can do it without having wars. Like, I don't, I don't know if we can have those. We can, we can move into the future without having something to remind us of how base and deplorable we can be, you know, mm-hmm. as humans. Cause it seems like ever so often, like we have to have that wake up call and not that I, I want this or I, I wish it on us, but it's like having that wake up call on how horrible we can be to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how, I mean, even in my own life, as far as like, just from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, it's like without having those sort of like, you know, beat downs, it's like <laughs> that you have, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? <laughs> it's like, it's like, you don't really appreciate the things that when they kind of go right or, um, uh, or you have a success or something like that. Cause well, it seems like, you know, earlier I said, you know, we have no clue what it's like to go through that. Mm-hmm. I also think we kind of don't have a clue what it's like 
to understand why you would go through something like that. Hmm. Like why you would go get on that boat mm-hmm. and all right, I'm putting myself to some arbitrary certainty of death. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there is something worth dying for, mm-hmm. which means that there is something worth living and it's not, and it's bigger than my life. Yeah. It's bigger. It's my kids' lives. It's my friends, kids' lives and their husbands mm-hmm. and wives. And it is something it's huge and felt, but insufficiently defined enough to where it lives almost in the sovereign. Mm-hmm. That idea of, you know, our, our country, our mm-hmm. freedom, our liberty is so worth living for that it's worth dying for. It's really odd. I mean, it's like, I don't feel like even in the way you said that, it's like, we've, we've lost a narrative. Like I, even like having pride in your country, you know, it's like it, it doesn't, people think that that doesn't mean that it comes with the good and the bad of, of what your country's done. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's either like, I guess more, I see the negative aspect of like how horrible the U S is, you know? And we lose sight of the things that we've done really well. You know, the, everything from entrepreneurship to, I mean, you think about all the companies and breakthroughs in science that have happened here in the United States, you know, like there's something that has fostered that. And, but what if, what if you, what if you lose that narrative and that, that, that dream, the vision, you know, it's like, you know, even Martin Luther King, it's like, I have a dream. There's, there's something that's, the uniting aspect of it. I think a lot of things I hear now is more the division, divisional, you know, aspect of it as far as like, you know, my identity is wrapped up in, I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I'm a Republican. Uh, my identity is wrapped up in my skin color, my social economic, whatever, you know, it's like my identity is wrapped up in my sexuality. Does anyone say my identity is that I'm an American? Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing is like you start like how you can, cause you can, all those things, you can have an identity and all those things, mm-hmm. but like, it's like, you kind of have to have larger or more encompassing identities right. that include more and more people. I mean, obviously you'd like to be able to say like, you know, to see it like, wow, I'm a, I'm a part of, we're all part of the same species, you know, or mm-hmm. we're all children of God in, in religious languages, you know, it's like, <clears throat> It's like if you don't have those larger narratives that you can frame things in and you just you go down to like a singular aspect of, you know, um, I'm of this certain class or whatever it might be. And that's what you identify with. Well, it makes me think of, you know, I don't know where this came from, but I read that like State Department buildings are now. I don't know if it's like allowed or compelled to fly the pride flag and the BLM flag along with the American flag Hmm. outside the building. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gave me a shudder. Like that seems to me exactly wrong. And part of the shudder is that I think people would get really angry Hmm. 
at me having that position. Mm -hmm. But it seems so obvious to me. Like, the whole point of having a flag on the building is what encapsulates all of us. Yeah. Such that no one within that needs further definition. Mm -hmm. And to try to say... Here, you know, I don't know, to, to somehow try to fly flags which list out some sort of priorities. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that's not right. Mm. What's right is to say is to fly the flag which unifies us all and that incorporates everyone under that flag. That's what gives the flag meaning. Mm -hmm. It's not the specificity, yeah. it's the generalization. Mm. Like, as a symbol, that's, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, as a symbol, it's exactly wrong. Yeah. It's exactly right that a flag be stars and stripes. What is that? It's America. What is that? Mm -hmm. Well, look around you. Yeah, it includes like... It's the pride flag. It's, it's BMO, BLM. It's, it's Boy Scouts. It's Girl it's Scouts. Christian. It's Christian. It's Muslim. <laughs> everything. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, it's the incredibly full mm -hmm. richness, the melting pot of this country. That's what that stands for. Yeah. Somebody just knock on the door? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's too. Uh, you were in such a like a flow state there, man. I was like, I was inspired. <laughs> Why does this keep happening during podcast hours? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> was he wanting to take some cactus out of my yard? Really? Yeah. Wow. He asked if I mind, and I said, Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> But to go back to your point, it's like, I think that's, but it's funny because like, I find that people would find what you just said very contentious, but that's, that's the thing is like, we need a general symbol that unites all these other symbols that we can all live under. Well, yeah. And that's exactly and not to distinguish those. Right. Well, it goes back to the idea of why would you get on that boat and go storm the beach of Normandy? Because there's something worth, there's something, there's something so worth living, mm -hmm. <clears throat> living out this idea of America, this idea of our country that it's worth going and dying for. Mm -hmm. And it, it also, something you said earlier about, um, you know, is America good? Is yeah. America bad? Mm -hmm. I mean, this really does seem to be on trial within the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I also think that's kind of exactly wrong. It's like, it doesn't, to some degree, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does matter as a smaller point, but the point is not, are we good or bad? The point is, like, America is our home. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, this is where we live. This is ours. Okay, can we agree on that and that it's worth, like, minimum barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. You live here. Is it worth living here? Is it worth doing something about the house you live in? Like, yeah, okay. Great, then we value it. Now we can talk about what's good and what's bad. We can talk about what needs improving and mm -hmm. what's worth celebrating. Yeah. You know, but if you can't sort of start with like, it's our home 
and that means everything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the flag. It's the flag. That's the representation. Mm-hmm. It's not what's good or bad or has been oppressed or un- unfairly uh, what's been fair and unfair. It's mm-hmm. like, no, it's, it's, it's ours. Yeah. Start there. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I mean, as you're saying all these things, I just see all the problematics, you know, in it. And it's like, but I feel like that's the hard thing. It's like, it's like when people are not able to understand the generalities of the things that unite us, you know? And it's not that all of our specific things that we do want to give ourselves to or to promote or to, um, yeah, to promote are not worthy. It's just that we do need to acknowledge and recognize that we are all under as a symbol, this flag, you know, mm-hmm. that allows us to assemble under these other flags, you know, whether mm-hmm. it be Christian, Muslim, you know, pride or BML, whatever. I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's things you can also leave the United States. Like no one is forcibly keeping you here. Mm. I mean, I guess you have to allow it has to, another state has to allow you in, mm-hmm. but that's the thing is you, when you, when you are, when you're in a place, there's certain, certain things you accept and norms and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't know. There's not very many places that are more broad than the United States as far as allowing, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. cause you couldn't fly that flag in Palestine or True. in many other Eastern com- countries. You know, I think that's, that's something to celebrate is you can fly the pride flag in the United States mm-hmm. and not be killed. Mm-hmm. I think Barry Weiss made that yeah. example. Was like, she did. I'm not, I don't go out of my house and I feel like I'm going to get it stoned because I'm walking <clears throat> with my wife, you know? Right. I think that was, when he told me that, I was just like, man, that's so crazy. You don't think about that. Like, you know. Well, that's how good we have it is we don't even have to think about how good we have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are situations, I mean, like, you know, I know living in rougher neighborhoods and stuff like that, there can be, you cannot experience some of the, the freedoms that people in like more middle class or upper class neighborhoods, you know, like the, with crime and stuff like that, that can be, Mm -hmm. their situations, you know, but I think too, I mean, that's why we have police. That's why we have systems in place to try to mitigate those things. And I think that's, that's something that we need to also celebrate and encourage and, and allow them to be, do their jobs. And it's not perfect, but you know, it's like, like somewhere, uh, I don't get that one part. Um, yeah, I, I <clears throat> it's, it's funny. Cause like, it makes sense to me. I think just growing up in that sort of Gen X, sort of cusper millennial, you know, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of these things that I grew up with are somewhat results of like world war two, you know, like our parents, their moms and dads were the ones that were in war, you know, right. My, my grandfather <clears throat> fought, you know? <clears throat> and so they kind of, they kind of like, they kind of left with the understanding of mm-hmm. what that, what that cost was and what that meant where I, I understand it less. Right. And I'm sure my kids will understand it even less. Well, if you think about, um, 
you know, the scene of D-Day and storming that beach and the arbitrary nature of who lives and who dies. Mm -hmm. And then you have to regroup and someone has to now take responsibility Mm -hmm. to lead. Well, what responsibility is that? It's the shared responsibility that we are doing something worth doing that's sort of inarticulated but agreed upon. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that all of us who, you know, of, of our generation also exist somewhat arbitrarily as a result of being the descendants of those who weren't killed. Mm -hmm. Many of us, at least. Yeah. Um, Both of my grandfathers were fought as well. Mm -hmm. And that's something to be like personally thankful for. Like Mm -hmm. we are here. (laughs) We are here. Because someone else died and not our grandfathers. Yeah. 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 It's like my grandfather wouldn't talk about the war very much, but there's always these little stories that would come out. Like he said one time, like my, my grandpa's name is Richie and he was kind of the crazy guy. So like, again, who knows if this is true, but this is (laughs) is the story. You know, it's like they're on a train going to another place and there was a quintessential pie in the window and they were like, Richie, go get that pie. So he ran down there and grabbed the pie out of this person's window. And just looking on his face, like it was almost like he was reliving it. So it's got, it had to be true. <laughs> he was like, that was the best pie I've ever had in my entire life. You know, but you, I can just see my, my grandpa, Richie, running down and grabbing. Like, Stealing a pie out of an old woman's window. As it's going out. You know? it's like I have this image in my head. I don't know if it's true as far as like what it actually looked like. Right. But, I just see them with their hand, legs dangling off of the off the back of a flatbed train, you know. Yeah, and like all the guys, are like, "Hey, go, Richie, go get the pie!" And he's like, "All right, guys!" and just runs down there and grabs it. <laughs> but then there's and then it's coupled with a horrible one that you know it's like he was um, he was part of one of the uh, I think one of the first U.S. because I think Russia encountered them first, but one of the first U.S. encounters with the concentration camps. Mm, wow, and. Uh, the story goes is he and another guy were uh, bringing one of the generals or whatever, some, some high up person up to the, one of his generals or whatever. Again, I don't know what the lieutenants or whatever. (laughs) And they're like, what do we do with this guy? And the, the lead guy just turns around and just shoots the guy in the head. Whoa. I mean, I don't know if it's in the head, but he killed him basically. It was a German general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like one of the high ups in the Germans. And it's like, wow. It's like, that was one of the few, like, like, intense stories that like just like you know that we got out of them that's absolutely nuts yeah so like my yeah it's like so again i have this image in my head and like how did he how did he get through all that you know yeah stealing a pie and and how did he see life Mm -hmm. how did he see the value of life yeah or the value of the country that he then came home to and Mm -hmm. reared a family in yeah, it was really fucked up and, you know, alcoholic. And I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, it was really, I mean, as, as in his later life, uh, my mom saw him like just change as he got old, old, you know, mm. and just was a sweet dude. Always told us to play in the, in the, in the, on the highway, gave us a quarter. Play on the highway? <laughs> yeah. We give him a hard time and he like, ah, leave me alone. Here's a quarter. Go play on the highway. <laughs> 
And my mom was always afraid we'd actually go play in the highway because we That's were... such a random thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it's like a grandpa thing. It's a crotchety old man. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly. Get out of here. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, but again, you know, I mean, that's something that we just don't, we, we can't comprehend that kind of right. sacrifice. Because there's also the idea too, is it's like, at some point, it's also not even about who you're fighting for. It's about the people who are around you and keeping them alive. Mm -hmm. And some of the documentaries I've seen, um, have expressed that on both sides, like the German, it wasn't really about them being Nazis. It was also about them just keeping each other alive through it all. And you saw that in the U S side too. It's like, Hey, I've got your back. Mm -hmm. All this is going to shit. Right. And I can't control anything else, but Mm -hmm. I can do what I can do. Mm hmm. Which is have your back. Yeah, have your back. And you can have mine. Mm-hmm. This is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, back to your point about, how did you put it? Like, we need war? Is that what you said? I, I just, I don't know how we can, how we can keep ourselves sane without war. Because we, we would tend to, we almost would tend to create a reason to divide ourselves in such a way that would tend towards war, you know? Yeah. I think I'm trying to take it a different direction. I think there's something okay. about conflict, which is, which is clarifying of a unified goal. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> and so maybe in that sense, well, if you're going to live in a society, you have to have some sort of unified goal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the society tends toward entropy too quickly totally. and breaks down. You yeah. have to have something which unifies you. Well, what unifies you? Well, you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And maybe the only way you know is when your society is threatened with death and annihilation and you're forced to clarify something enough to unify you to fight back. And then the fallout of that is... I suppose if you win, Hey, it was worth being unified. Mm -hmm. Let's stay unified. Mm -hmm. Look at what we can do when we're unified. Yeah. Well, you think about our enemies throughout the past. It's like, you know, you know, world war two is obviously the Nazis and the Japanese and, uh, and then, uh, you know, more recently like ISIS and stuff like that. But, I think ISIS is kind of like a symbol symbolically representative of where we are today. It's like, we don't know who the enemy is when the cold war, it was like, Oh, it's the Russians. Mm -hmm. Again, it's these generalizations, but there's a part too. It's like, like, do, do we know how not to have an enemy? Like as far as like, like, yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest problems we're facing now. Mm -hmm. There's something about human nature that wants an enemy, but what, the, why, why, why do we, why it's like, well, I think it has something to do with, um, the necessity for progress hmm. because we are conscious beings, which I will define as being aware of the future. Mm-hmm. We are necessarily in tension with that future because mm-hmm. what is that future going to be? You know, we don't know it's a risk. So we're in tension with it. And so to progress through it, 
or into it is something of, well, identifying what's good and what's bad. You start there. Identifying what's bad, well, that's your enemy. Mm-hmm. And so long as you have an identifiable enemy, that need is sort of taken care of and identifying what is good is simply what isn't bad. Hmm. It, it, it's an easier, it's sort of like shorthand for mm-hmm. resolving that sort of chaos of the future. Yeah. So, and it's so long as you have an external enemy, <clears throat> it seems like things sort of tick along quite nicely. Mm-hmm. But then when you don't, which I think if you asked any American, like, hey, who are our enemies? Yeah. I don't think you would get any sort of unified response. And yeah, I, th- I mean, even their election, it was like, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans are the enemies. Right. So if you don't have a defined external enemy, mm-hmm. I think that part of the human nature says, well, the enemy must be within, hmm. which is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's true at a more local level. I think the enemy is actually within <laughs> within ourselves. In ourselves. <clears throat> totally. But I think that's what you're seeing now. I mean, you're even hearing Biden saying the greatest threat to America is domestic terrorism. Yeah, white supremacists. Yeah, yeah. Which is an astounding statement mm-hmm. um, on on a couple of different levels. But I'm seeing this move. This move is we don't have any enemies externally. Mm-hmm. Russia's pretty okay. China's pretty okay. And um, <clears throat> You know, the real enemy is us. And that seems to me to be a catastrophic disaster waiting to happen. But, well, I mean, I, I agree with you. I just don't. Well, back to the idea of the flag. What does the flag represent? Mm-hmm. It, re- it represents us. It represents home. Yeah, United, it, 50 stars. It represents, uh, you know, and what is home? Like, who lives in home? at home? Family. Not the enemy. Mm-hmm. But if the enemy now lives at home, hmm. the enemy is now represented by the flag. Oh, interesting. And now you can't, you're even seeing this from some of our politicians saying, who was it? Uh, somebody was saying how disturbing it was to be in some area and see so many American flags flying. I saw that. So some senator or something. Mm-hmm. Well, Okay. If this is the case, if this is the formulation, yeah. then we have no, we have no, it's like we have no home. Mm-hmm. We have nothing that unifies us. Yeah. Symbolically specifically. Right. And the enemy is within, but who is the enemy? Mm-hmm. It is, well, you don't know. Could be anyone. Yeah. <clears throat> Could be someone in your own family. Yeah. Now you're in a state of hypervigilance and the impulse to condemn anyone. Somewhat arbitrarily. Well, it makes me think of like, uh, again, uh, there's plenty of examples throughout history where this is, uh, has been used differently, but it makes sense like where like in a lot of religions and I'll use Christianity specifically, it's like where the devil is the enemy, you know, it's like, like even, even somewhat of the idea of like, you know, when Jesus says like, they know not what they do, you know, there's this idea of like, even though people are acting 
this way, they don't understand what they do, what they're doing. And it's like, it's putting the enemy outside the gates, you know? So it's outside the U S it's outside of all these other countries, but there's actually a greater enemy that we're facing. That's not your fellow man. Hmm. It abstracts the concept of Mm -hmm. enemy, even away from your potential physical enemy. Mm -hmm. It's not really you. Yeah. It is that religious abstraction. Mm -hmm. So even though you might act in accordance with, you know, the antichrist or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, it's like, uh, it's not the person that's doing that. You know, it's like, that person can be forgiven mm -hmm. and redeemed. They're sort of like, for lack of a better term, under a spell or something like that, you know? So there's also this idea of you can also rescue your enemy, you know, Mm -hmm. but not the grander enemy, you know, it's like, um, so it's like, what happens when you lose the abstractions, you know, it's like you start to kind of get into a lot of the things we talked about with Nietzsche, you know, it's like, if God is dead, then there's almost like, well, who's our enemy, you know, because even if God's your enemy, you know, so you can be like, you can blame him for your situation in life, you know, rather than maybe your neighbor or someone of a certain, you know, ethnicity or whatever it might be, you know, it's like, um, you know, even to blame God is probably better to <laughs> a better scapegoat than, yeah. <laughs> than like <clears throat> your neighbor, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's almost a symbolic, even with Christ, it's better to kill him than to kill your neighbor, you know, mm. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've kind of hit on this point from a couple of different directions. We talked about mission statements. We talked about the ideal that love chases, mm. Now we're kind of talking about, well, then we talked about religion, religious symbols. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about the flag. It seems like the common thing with all of those is you need it to be sufficiently grand and insufficiently defined mm-hmm. such that it lives mostly in the symbolic and not in the articulated. Well said. That's really good. So that it is far enough out of your reach that you can continue to move toward it. Mm-hmm. Well, th- th- I think how you said that, I'm going to probably have you come back and say that again, just cause like, but on that note is like, we've, we've, we've come to a point where we're starting to narrowly define the flag, you know, that it's a symbol of racism. It's a symbol of oppression. It's a symbol of, but it's like, no, the, the flag is that and more. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, this all happened under the, but it's also, it's also about, um, overcoming. It's about unifying. It's about, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, civil rights. It's, you know, there's so many things that are encompassed. It's like, it's all, it's all those things <laughs> and more. And yeah, it's like, right. Cause it, it has to represent not only who we are, but who we could be mm-hmm. and who we will become. Yeah. It has to represent us in, 1776 as mm-hmm. well as 1865 mm-hmm. 1964 mm-hmm. um as well as today mm-hmm. and it has to represent our kids in the future yeah well and you see this problem actually with the pride flag itself i mean the pride flag itself is being constantly redef- redesigned mm-hmm. new things being added to it constantly mm-hmm. why it's obvious because it's not inclusive enough hmm. You know, you, you play that out to its conclusion 
what do you end up with? <laughs> the United States flag. <laughs> you end up with something that's not specific at all. Yeah. It's, it's, sim- it's purely symbolic. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what it should be if you want it to be inclusive. And that's the thing is like the American flag is inclusive and the pride flag is exclusive. And that's the problem with the pride flag. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, well, it's the benefit of what it represents in a, in a, in a, a very narrow aspect yeah. you know, underneath something that's a grander narrative uh-huh. as far as us, us and how we're united. Right, totally. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's, I'm not saying that it doesn't have value. It has yeah. tremendous value, mm-hmm. but it has tremendous value as a subset of some grander symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you have to have the, the grander symbol. Right. It's like, well, not, not just that you have to have it, you will have it. Like you will get there eventually. Oh, you gotcha. can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. I think that's my point when I'm saying you keep design, redesigning the pride flag enough. You play this game over the next X number of years, mm-hmm. you're going to end up with something as symbolic as the American flag, meaning mm-hmm. that there's nothing specific about it. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't represent any specific individual. Mm-hmm. That's the point. It represents every individual. Mm. Well, again, I think that's what our forefathers, you know, and saw was like, we, they didn't want us united under a Christian flag or Mm -hmm. a Mormon flag or a Quaker flag or whatever it might be. It's like, it had to be broader and bigger than and inclusive of all of those things. I don't think there were Mormons in the 1700s. No, I think that's newer. Is that newer? Is it? I don't know. I I just kind of, I just kind of threw them in there. (laughs) Church of Scientology. <laughs> that's, uh, that's newer too. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but even then it, 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 it saw those things into the future. It's like, there'll be other groups and, of people that right. this needs to be something that is over all. Yeah. Because there was plenty of, I mean, we are a Judeo Christian culture at our founding, mm-hmm. but even then there was the Quakers, there was the shakers, there was the <laughs> Quakers and shakers. There, that was a thing, right? Shakers. Uh, I don't know. That sounds familiar. Yeah, but I, I know, know the Quakers are. <laughs> um, and, and it was known and I assume somewhat, maybe it wasn't even obvious, mm-hmm. but it was known that, well, you, you need something broader mm-hmm. that allows all of these things to live in tension with one another. Yeah. You even saw that like the, just throughout the history of the United States is like how that, symbol of the flag has has included more and more people, you know, mm-hmm. and with greater and greater rights, you know, it's like, whether it be women suffrage and that kind of stuff. And like, it's like this sort of like, it's almost like we understood in order for this, again, flag is a symbol that more and more things had to be included underneath that, mm-hmm. that symbol, you know, it's like, you know, um, where, you know, black people were not seen as, you know, uh, a part of that symbol. And that was something that, well, I guess for some, for some they did, but in, in others they didn't, but yeah. over time it, they, you know, were able to come under that symbol also, you know, included into the symbol. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why you need something like a flag to be non-specific because what does a flag represent? Well, it represents us. Mm-hmm. What is us? We don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. We're working that out constantly fighting yeah. about it, mm-hmm. arguing, are we this? Are we that? What do we tolerate? What do we don't, what do we not tolerate? Mm-hmm. What do we agree on? What do we disagree on? 
who's included, who's not included. Mm-hmm. That's that conversation doesn't end. Yeah. We'll continue having that conversation to infinity. Well, also that symbol represents that. It's like, yeah, we're working this out. Right. That's part of what that symbol of the flag is. is right. We're working this out, <clears throat> but this is here. This is home. Mm-hmm. That represents us, and us is worth working out, mm-hmm. and us is worth living, and us is worth fighting for. Well, even just the s- symbology of like marriage, it's like that's a flag that you put in the ground, mm-hmm. you know, or these are my kids. It's like this is worth working out, right? You know, and like, yeah, I think there's a lot of those symbols that we have that that we need in order to, um, to kind of plant and put in, I mean, obviously the, there's the, some are more specific than others, but I think it's easiest to talk about the American flag for that reason, because right. it, inc- it's, it's, a, it's supposed to include the greatest and broadest. Well, it's arguably one of the most powerful symbols mm-hmm. of the modern age. Yeah. I mean, it means something mm-hmm. not only to us in our country, but it has meant a tremendous amount to other people in other countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, so much so that the people culture, want to burn it and yeah. stamp on it. Positive and, and negative. Replace right. it. And yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's highly contentious, highly prized, highly mm-hmm. valued. Mm-hmm. And it represents a culture that the rest of the world is desperate to adopt. Mm-hmm. Despite its flaws. Yeah. Which I, th- I find very fascinating that you don't hear very often. is like, you know, despite our flaws, so many people are wanting and willing to come here you know, mm-hmm. to work out that narrative. Because hmm. it's really, I mean, and I hope it, I hope it continues this way is that it's, it's one of the greatest narratives to work out on planet, on this yeah. planet, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if history just showed us anything, it's like, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those narratives get crushed, you know? Like, I mean, the Roman like giving it, so I don't want to give that time, but it's like, but given its time and its place, there was something that was really, there's a lot of security and, and yeah, it's hard because like, I don't want to get way too caught in the weeds in that one, <laughs> but it, cause it's hard. Cause you want to like talk about like the time and the place and where that happened in history. But I think that's too broad to really encapsulate. But as far as like in the U S right now or in the world right now, it's like, U.S. has been a symbol of hope and dreams and entrepreneurship and freedoms. And mm-hmm. you can be gay, you can be a lesbian, you can be a Mormon, you can be, you know, it's like whatever individual category that you're a part of, you're welcomed here, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of those, all those things that we're working out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're like the largest exporter of culture on mm-hmm. the planet. Yeah. yeah. Everyone wants our music and our films and our books, mm-hmm. our ideas. Yeah. I mean, how many countries that send their kids to the U S to be educated? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although mm-hmm. that might change. <laughs> yeah. Whole different subject. Yeah, whole subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to wrap it? We should. I mean, I guess one thing I want to say is like, we kind of jumped. I don't feel like, uh, I guess there's a lot of like hanging 
chads out there, you know, <laughs> in a lot of the categories, but we're going to... Is that a chess reference? No, that's a... I think that's a... Oh, uh, it's a voter. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Bush and Gore. <laughs> Hanging chads, yeah. Hanging chads. Uh, <clears throat> but I think, too, I think as, as you're listening to this, to be able to kind of, like, grab the larger narrative that we're talking about here, because I think there's a lot of little things we kind of left hanging out there. And, uh, but generally speaking, maybe you can clarify this also, but, you know, we need a larger symbol, something Mm -hmm. that we can, that unites us no matter our differences and something that allows for those differences too. Mm -hmm. Like that's a symbol that, because the more narrow the symbol is, the more people are excluded. Right. And leads to not good things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like that's what the American flag is. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I hope that holds. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a an idea too is like the remaking of symbols. Like, like there's certain symbols at times that were really helpful and useful, but. There's a, there's this part that need, things need to be revivified, you know, it's like to bring mm-hmm. new life to them, you right. know? And I think that's something that, you know, I think probably in the Vietnam war was kind of where you saw, you know, some of the shamefulness around the flag start to kind of come, you know, or that's my hmm. memory and understanding, you know? Hmm. Um, so maybe there's some things that we need to, I mean, I grew up in Amarillo, so like Memorial Day was kind of a big deal. We'd right. go see the parade, you right. know? I don't take my kids to the Memorial Day parade. Right. Yeah, same. I grew up in small town Texas, and mm-hmm. it was a big deal. Yeah. July 4th? <laughs> well, we do it. Some of those little light firecrackers in my driveway. I, know, I feel like we, we made a pretty big deal of it last year mm-hmm. and even talked about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be a... Um, we'll see when this July 4th comes around how that's how that's taken now that Trump's out of office, but it seemed like there was a lot of negative rhetoric around July 4th last year. Yeah. Yeah. Because of Trump and maybe I don't, I don't think it was because of Trump though. No, I I think if it, if it was because of Trump, I'll feel better about it, but I I don't quite believe that. Mm -hmm. I think it's deeper. Mm -hmm. I think he was an aberration of something much deeper. Yeah. He took on the symbol of the, yeah. You know, the, of a deeper, he was made a symbol. Ma- yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think we probably should end it here, but like, <laughs> we I feel definitely like we're, should, we're but leaving that's a, a big... lot on the table here. <clears throat> well, leave it on the table. Hey, you know what? We do this every Wednesday. Yeah, so. totally. <laughs> we're on episode 75, 77, 77, 77. Yeah. So we got another thousand right. or so in us. So. That's right. Well, cheers. <laughs> all right. Shores. Love you. Love, Love you, you all. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye.